0: So I had a friend ask me a question a number of years ago, and it went like this. Tell me something about you that has nothing to do with what you've done or what you've acquired. I asked you that question. Would you know how to answer a question like that if somebody said, tell me something about you that doesn't have anything about you, what you've done or what you've gathered about yourself? Would you, know, would you have an answer for that? Did I hear? Uh huh. What? What Well, but that's something you do. If you love, if you're doing it, Jerry. You are loved. You are loved. I'll just do. We, you are are loved by God. Is is the answer he was looking for? I, I. we've been talking about this recently just a little bit about, do you remember the catchphrase that I said, Jesus loves you and God's got your back. That's one of those, one of those things that, that we're doing, but he was asking this question and we were about to go street witnessing, which is not something for everybody, but he needed to make sure that we understood that the, that the, the quality that begins to define us as as, uh, witnesses of God isn't what we've done, but the voice of God saying, you're mine, I love you. He also says that to lots of people. He's not only picking out Dave and going, I love Dave better than all the rest, but he is saying, I love Dave, that's me. And so if I could get you to just say that and add your own name at the end of that, could you just say that with me? I love Dave. That's what God's saying to you. And I need you to start to hear that because it's so easy to become defined by which car you drive or what job you do or what time it is or how much time you don't have. And you become defined that way. I'm going to get into the text here this morning, but before I do, I want to say there's a, there's a few questions I have that the text sort of brings up, and I want to be, you know, if I'm helping teach you to become good readers of the text, which I hope I am, I need to acknowledge those things. We're going to do the David and Goliath story today, and it's the third time we've met King David before he's king. It's the third time, and either Saul has a horrible memory or they're not in chronological order. I just want to acknowledge that, that if that he, Saul didn't meet him at the first time when he was anointed king, but Saul met David when Saul was having a uh, a troubled spirit and he last week we talked about him coming into the into the court and singing for him this time he's going to come out to the battlefield and Saul's not going to know who he is so either they're not in chronological order or Saul's got a bad memory problem when he's a young man I hope that's not the case I choose to think that they're not in, a, in chronological order for a specific reason. The first reason is, I think that as we enter into the David story, the very first story we need to know is that God chooses us, not because of what the people say about us or our family tells us or what we hear in our heads about, right? That, that when David was anointed to be king, he wasn't even invited to the meal. And they said, oh, is there, is there any other brothers? None of these sons are it. And he goes, well, there's the little one. And you know that sort of derision that goes with that, that David was called and anointed by God, not because of the people's opinion, but because God does that work. So that was the first reason, the very first thing we need to get right in our life is understand where we get that anointing and that call from, Okay. The second story was David was called to do God's work. He was anointed to do God's work as king, but it was literally 20 years before he would become king, and last week I anointed everybody to be God's person wherever they're at. Do you remember that? If if you were here, do you remember that? So the first thing we, we needed to learn from David is to define ourselves the way God defines us. And the second thing we need to learn is that wherever we are, we can be God's person. Even if we're called to this one specific thing, we are still called, even if that's not happening at the moment, to wait on God. And today, I need us to learn a third lesson, not to let the giants of the world define who you are. So if you'll enter into the story with me, I will read from 1 Samuel 17. And I'm reading, uh, if you're following along, just recognize I'm going to be reading the message because it's got some stuff in it that just feels more relevant to our day when, when, when it says that. So, um, and I'll talk about some issues within the text as we go. So the Philistines drew up their b- troops for battle and they deployed them at Soko and Judah and set up camp between Soko and Azica and Ephes Damon. I'm going to stop right there. Aren't you glad you're not up here reading these? For those of you who've done reading of Bible names up in front, do you want to know Dave's secret? Have I told you this? Pretend you know what you're doing and go. <laughs> Everybody else is happy that they're not up there reading them. Aside that, the Hebrew, ancient Hebrew pronunciation, there's two major schools of pronunciation and Seminaries belong to one school or the other, and then they sort of argue over which one's right. And so you can just say that you're from the other school. (laughs) Saul and the Israelites came together and camped at, at, uh, mine says Oak Valley, yours says the Valley of Elah, that's Oak and Elah are the translations, and spread out their troops in battle readiness for the Philistines. The Philistines were on one hill and the Israelites on the opposing hill with the valley between them. A giant, nearly 10 feet tall, stepped out from the Philistine line. Now, I need to explain to you that in the ancient Hebrew, this is measuring the giant in cubits. And, uh, you know, we're not going to use a galactic standard cubit because there is no such thing. A cubit is the measurement from the end of a finger to your elbow, And it's not really an exact thing. It's it's more like a fathom, you know, in sailor talk. A fathom. Do you know how much rope a fathom is? It's the amount of rope when you grab one end and you go and you and you hold it here. That's a fathom. <laughs> so it's not a technical measurement. Aside from the fact that some of you know Ted, right? Ted is our six foot seven guitar player in the first. Earth. Do you know his cubit t- is longer than my cubit? And and in 3,000 years ago, I would uh, if we follow the data, a cubit was quite a bit smaller. But if this isn't today's cubit, Goliath was probably 10 feet tall, or he was Paul Bunyan, or something like that. But in those areas, probably more like seven feet. So probably more like Ted height, or as Ted said once, this was his best illustration. Ted stood on the pew at six foot seven, said he was this big. Right, okay. I want to be tall, so I'm going to stand on that for a second. <laughs> I'm not. But the, that's this thing. And then he wore a bronze helmet on his head and was dressed in armor, 125 pounds of it. Your Bible might say 5,000 shekels of iron. That's the translation to 126 pounds or 125 pounds. And most armor, if it says chain mail or something like that, that is about right. That's a lot of weight to carry around, a lot of protection. And his spear was like a fence rail. The tears, the spear tip alone weighed over 15 pounds and his shield bearer walked ahead of him and Goliath stood there and called out to the Israelite troops. Why bother using your whole army? I'm, am I not enough Philistine for you? And you're all committed to Saul, aren't you? So pick your best fighter and pit him against me. And if he gets the upper hand and kills me, the Philistines will all become your slaves. Now that's the old uh, image of the two champions fight and it just decides the whole thing. I want you to recognize later in the battle when that Saul, that, um, Goliath does get killed, do the Philistines just go, okay, we're your slaves? No, they don't. So that didn't ever really work that way. And they all knew it. I challenge the troops of Israel this day, give me a man and let us fight it out together. And when Saul, now I need to remind you that in the Bible, when Saul was anointed king, Saul was specifically anointed for a couple of reasons, what he looked like. And one of the things he was, was he was a head and a shoulder taller than everybody else. Yes, ma'am. Well, it says he was a giant. Um, if he was seven feet, and, and I, you know, I'm not very tall now, but three thousand years ago, by the records, I would be a fairly good size. I'd be a big guy, tall wise. So if he's Ted, you know, imagine Ted. Maybe I can have Bill stand up. Bill, you're you're enough taller than me than you can do this, right? Okay, so this is Saul to the troops <laughs> and Goliath to Saul, right? So it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Thank you, Thank you for that example. Did that work for some? Although not for you because you can see me. I was, I was eclipsed by Bill. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I was standing on this earlier because I just liked the thought of being tall. Never actually experienced it. So Saul was anointed because he was a head and a shoulder taller. So I want you to get the idea here that there literally are two giants on the field, Goliath and Saul. But they react quite differently. When Saul and his troops heard the Philistines' challenge, they were terrified and lost all hope. Enter David. He was the son of Jesse the Ephrathite from Bethlehem. In Judah, Jesse, the father of eight sons, was himself too old to join Saul's army. Jesse's three oldest sons followed Saul to war, and their son's name were Eliab, the firstborn, and Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. David was the youngest, and while his three oldest brothers went to war, David went back and forth, attending to Saul, attending to his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Each morning... And evening for 40 days. Now when you hear the number 40, we just finished a whole series on on weird number signs and things like that in the book of Revelation. 40 is one of those biblical numbers. Is there any use of the word 40 that happens before David and Goliath in the Bible? Can you tell me any use of 40 before then? What's that? Well, Jesus did fast for 40 days, but that's after King David, right? Yeah, okay. So how about Noah? Did it rain for 40 days? Okay. How many days did, or what, how many years did the Israelites spend in the desert? 40. 40 days. 40 is a big number. Do you know why the Israelites spent 40 days in the desert? 40 years in the desert. Do you know why that was? They sinned, but they sinned in a specific way in Numbers 13. It relates to this. They actually came from Egypt pretty quickly and got to the promised land pretty quick, and they sent 12 spies into the land. Matter of fact, I'll read some of this for you. They sent 12 spies into the land, and when they came back, they said, Wow, the land is really good, but... And and then they were arguing over it, and Caleb quieted the people before Moses had said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now that was Caleb and Joshua. Joshua then has a book named after him in our Bible after that. Then the men who had also gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land, and they said, and they spied it out, the land through which we have gone to spy is out. It is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And we saw the Nephilim there, the sons of Anak who come from them, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers next to them. The Israelites were judged when they first came to the promised land because they essentially said, we can't go there. There's giants there, and we can't overcome them. We can't overcome them. Here here we go again, further into the story. And each morning for 40 days, Goliath stood to take his stand and made his speech. And one day Jesse told his son David, take this sack of cracked wheat and these 10 loaves of bread and run down to your brothers in the camp and take the 10 wedges of cheese to their captain of their division and check in on your brothers to see whether they're getting along all right. Here's another one of those Bible stories that you should be thinking of for a second. If you ever heard of Joseph being sent out to check on his brothers... In the Old Testament, do you remember what they did to Joseph when he went out to check on him? Here comes that boy in the fancy coat. Here comes dad's favorite. Let's fix that. Didn't they? And they threw him in a pit, and they sold him into slavery, and he ended up in so you're supposed to be thinking about these things when you, when you become good Bible readers and you read this stuff. You start thinking, here comes the youngest brother that they all don't like and he's coming out to check on his brothers. It's probably not going to go very well, which it doesn't. Saul and your brothers and all the Israelites in their war and the Philistines at Oak Valley. David was up at the crack and arranged somebody to tend his flock, took the food and was on his way just as Jesse directed him. He arrived at the camp, secured the food, and moved up to the position facing the battle. David left his bundles there, and they were deployed, and he greeted his brothers. And while they were there talking, the Philistine champion, Goliath, stepped out and gave his usual challenge. David heard it. The Israelite men fell back that moment that they saw the giant totally frightened. Do you have any giants in your life? that you're just afraid of? Have you ever had something in your life that you were just terribly afraid of and it just scared the living daylights out of you? This is what we have got at the time. But there's two giants here. One is fear and one is this blustering one. Saul is falling back. And the talk among the troops was this. Have you ever seen anything like this man openly and defiantly challenging Israel? The man who kills the giant will have it made. The king will give a huge ward, offer his daughter as bride, and give his entire family a free ride or tax-free living. David, who was talking to the men standing around him, asked, what's in it for the man who kills the Philistine and gets rid of the ugly blot on Israel's honor? Who does he think he is anyway, this uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of God? And they told him what everyone was saying about what the king would do. Eliab, his older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here and why aren't you minding your own business tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know that you're up here, that you're, what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights and get a ringside seat at the battle. See, there's the bro- older brothers. David goes to check on them. They all think badly of him and all this stuff. But there's a giant in the land, and there's another giant in the land. There's what people say about you. And, and i got to tell you, when people tell you the same thing over and over about yourself, pretty soon you have an MP3 player in your head that just plays that over and over if you take it inside. Don't you? I could say it was a tape, but tape is old technology. I could also say it was a it was a uh, what, does my, what does my brother have in his, his car? He still has an eight track. My brother still has an eight track in his in his car because to change it out would make it worth less money. <laughs> it's great, eight tracks. You can listen to any four of the eight songs you want as long as you listen to them in this order. But we have this MP3 in our head. One of those MP3s that people say here is, I'm not a good public speaker. Did you know that that is so common, a giant in people's life, that more people fear it than death? Public speaking. I'll give you my little hint here. I'll give you my little little talk that I give to people that fill the pulpit and the eulogy speakers and things like that because they're all scared and they don't want to do it. Well, here, here it goes. Are you ready? nerves are a sign that what you're doing matters to you. And because it matters to you, you should do it well, not stop doing it. Nerves in this way are a sign of health. It's actually completely unhealthy. If I were up here this morning and not a little nervous representing God's word and talking to you about what God has for us today, and I'm not nervous about it, I should not be up here. But nerves are a sign of health. If you were in your speech 101 class in college or in a high school class, do you wait for the end of the line to sign up or do you go first? First, why do you go first? Get it over with. If you chose the last one, what happens? You, you, get, you get more and more nervous. Okay, so here it goes. When you're nervous, here's the second part of my little talk that I give to people. When you're nervous, your adrenaline clock, did you know you have an adrenaline clock in your body? Oh, yeah. So your adrenaline clock starts running your mouth. You've always heard somebody do a 100-yard dash in a talk, right? And they're done. I remember once a kid did a, a youth sermon once at a church, In five minutes, their adrenaline clock was going a 1,000 miles an hour. They don't know that. When you're up front, you don't know that because the adrenaline clock that runs your mouth is also running your ears because it's running the whole of you. So you have to slow down. And I say it this way, if it seems like you're going this fast you're probably just about right for everybody in the room (laughs) because that's your adrenaline clock doing it okay those are the things that i do the third thing i tell people is it's a friendly audience nobody brought rotten vegetables to throw at you today (laughs) they're almost always uniformly glad they're not up there and they're just glad and hoping that it's done well and all the stuff So they're hoping for you. But if you've got a giant in your head about public speaking, how do you overcome it? Well, you don't just do it. It doesn't always work to just do it once. It does it to start changing the tape or the MP3 that's playing in your head about that. That if you were at a family member's funeral and somebody asked you to do a eulogy, I'm going to tell you this, that the pastor can do all that stuff, but if a family member or a friend will speak for their loved one, everybody heals faster. So not only is it, is it one of those things that, that, that's not as hard and shouldn't be as scary as it is, it's actually good for the family to hear a voice from themselves doing it. It's valuable. So you start changing the tape. Oh, this is going to be so scary and they're going to, they're going to make fun of me. Well, they're not going to make fun of you. And, and the, and the little bit of fear and worry isn't a bad thing. And so that's about healthy and, and, and caring about what you do. And you don't want to do things you don't care about. But if you're doing things you care about, you should have some nerves about that because you want to do it well. I'm nervous every Sunday. Now, some of you might not believe that. I've been doing this for 10 years, the last seven of which twice a Sunday, uh, the first three years at different churches with a half-hour drive in between them. But I'm up here trying to talk to you about what God's word has for you today, and I don't want to do that badly. But there was a giant in my head saying, oh, man, you don't have any right to be up there. And I had to listen to God say, I love you. I've called you, and you can do it. You might not do it well, but you can do it. You can get better. I can prepare you to get better. But the only way to get better is to do it. The only way to do 50 push-ups is to do five first. The only way to do 50 push-ups is to do five first and then do six and seven and eight. Eight. You have to practice anything if you're going to be good at it, but you need to change the tape that plays in your head. Here's how David kind of does that. Now we're back on the thing. What is it with you? Replied David at his brother for chewing him out. All I did was ask a question, and ignoring his brother, he turned to someone else and asked the same question and got the same answer. The things David was saying were picked up and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And he said, Master, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight the Philistine. Saul answered, You can't go and fight the Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. He's been fighting his his business since he was born. There's that tape. You can't do that. You're not right. David said, I've been tending sheep. As a shepherd for my father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it, knock it down, and rescue the lamb. And if it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat and wring its neck and kill it. Lion or bear made no difference. I killed it. And I'll do the same thing with the Philistine pig who is taunting me. Now, it's not necessary to call somebody else names, but you can hear the tape in his head says, I'm able. I can do this. And he's practiced hearing it, isn't he? God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. So Saul said, go and God help you. And then Saul outfitted David as a soldier in the army and he put on his bronze helmet on his head and belted him with a sword over the armor and David tried to walk in it, but could hardly budge. Look, they've spent a lot of time describing Goliath's armor, Saul's armor doesn't fit David either. Goliath's armor isn't going to fit David. Do you know why the armor doesn't fit right? And and how do you get armor that does fit right? If you want to go serve God, you need to make the armor your own. So if they're talking in the, in the Ephesians about the breastplate of righteousness, you need to live in that pattern for a while before that's yours. If you need to... If you need to spend some time learning God's word so it comes out of your mouth, you need to make that your armor That by reading it and putting it into you. If you need a relationship with God, if you're going to be stronger in God, like our, our little graph says right under focusing or centered on a relationship with Christ, then you need to spend time listening to him talk to you about that. Not what other people said. It's why I started off with Jesus loves me and God's got my back. That that's the tape that you need to play in your head, not this other stuff. And so David said, I can't even move in all this stuff. I'm not used to it. So he took it off. And then David took his shepherd's staff and selected five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the pocket of his shepherd's pack and with his sling in his hand approached Goliath. And as the Philistine paced back and forth the shield-bearer in front of him, he noticed David, and he took one look down and sneered at the mere youngster, apple-cheeked and peach-fuzzed. That's why, that's why I picked this translation. And the Philistine ridiculed David, am I a dog that you come after me with sticks? And he cursed him by his gods and said, come on, I'll make roadkill out of you for the buzzards, and I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the field mice david answered this do you do you know do you know how easy it would be to just hear that and go i can't do it you're not able you're not enough you're too small but david said you come at me with sword and spear and battle-axe and i come at you in the name of my god the god of israel's troops whom you curse and mock This very day, God is handing you over to me and I will kill you and cut off your head and serve up your body and the bodies of the Philistine buddies to the crows and coyotes and the whole earth will know there's an extraordinary God in Israel. Look, I'm telling you that if that comes out of your mouth or that, that amount of confidence comes out of you, you've put on some armor and you didn't let your imagination get towed away by the giants in the land and you're not sitting there going, I can't do it, there's a giant over there. I can't do that job, There, I, I don't know how. And so as I need to wrap this up today, I need you to know that there's giants in the land. I hate to tell you this, there's giants in the land. And sometimes the worst one you'll ever have is the one that's in your head that you can't put the earplugs in and not hear because you're just listening to that self-talk that tells you you're not able. But you are able The reason this is the third David story is specifically, the first one is, is that you're not to listen to that stuff. You're to listen to this one thing. Say it with me. God loves me. God loves me. One more time. God loves me. You start the definition of who you are right there. Not, I'm smaller than Goliath. Everybody's smaller than Goliath. Even Goliath is smaller than Goliath because the story just keeps getting bigger. <laughs> the second story is, is of David is that you, loved by God, can be God's person wherever you're at. Now that you do that and you become God's person wherever you're at, you're ready to face the giants. You're ready to face some giants, not because you're all special and superpowered and all that, but because you're not listening to what the other t- giants in your head say you can't do, and you're listening to God, and He's doing it for you, and you can do it. You're His person. That's the reason we talk about the David and Goliath story, is that our definition of us needs to start with the definition of who God says we are, not who we say we are. Jesus loves you, and God's got your back. Can you say that in your head? Jesus loves me, and God's got my back. Jesus loves me, and God's got my back. Jesus loves me, and God's got my back. Okay. Now you're ready to be his person wherever you go. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We love you so much. Thank you for uh, deleting the MP3 file that we keep uploading. Move in our hearts to listen to the one that we can, that you've given us. Help us spend the time with your word so that we can hear it over and over in us, that we can be both good readers of it and good livers of it. In your precious name, amen.